Welcome to the podcast of Merc the Meek. Welcome to another episode of Merc the Meek. This episode has gone through some evolution. At first, I was just going to play an interview that I did with my daughter after we played Outdoor Survival. But then I realized Daniel from Bandit's Keep called in with an answer to some of my Outdoor Survival questions from a previous episode. So I'll start with that. And then I was reflecting on the interview with my daughter and realized that when she mentioned pets, which you'll hear, I started thinking about how, how would I implement pets into outdoor survival. So then I will give my reflections on that after the interview. And then lastly, since outdoor survival was related to my travel slash PC morale conversation, I finally decided I'd add a couple of calls at the end as well. Let's get started with a call-in from Daniel. Hey, Mark. Daniel from Minutes Keep calling in about outdoor survival. So I was just going to go off the top of my head, but I decided to pull the actual box set out because, of course, I have the original, as you've probably seen, because I think you said you saw some of the actual plays that I did. So sometimes when somebody makes a retro clone, which is basically the, the, the free one online, right, that's effectively what it is, uh, you know, things maybe aren't as clear or maybe they're not clear in this one. Who knows? But I will try to clarify the questions you had. Number one, encounters. Yes, they are optional. What Outdoor Survival itself says is it's something you can add to the game to add more flavor and challenge once you become kind of proficient with the game. So it's just something you add when you feel like it. Number two, bases and outposts. Well, first of all, unless you, only in a, in most cases, those aren't going to be refill stations, right? Outposts are refill stations for guards in the, the prisoner scenario, and bases can be they say is an option. So that's an optional rule if you want to make that a refill station. But if you do that, yes, they refill both food and water. And I guess the question is, why would you not just sit there and refill every time you got low? Well, in theory, you're playing against other people. And even when I play the survival one, take an OD&D out of the, equivalent, the equation here, if I'm just running outdoor survival, like just playing solo outdoor survival, I always play more than one player. That's why. <laughs> so you can sit there and refuel, but your other person's going to get to move. That's why you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't necessarily want to do that, I should say. Now, the third thing you asked, which is if you sit on a water basin, doesn't your food keep going down while you're refilling? Yes, it does. And that might come up where you might need to do that because as you stated, the food, the water goes down faster, right? So you may find yourself, you may find yourself, how did I get to, anyways, you may find yourself, you know, where you have plenty of food. Maybe you just kept walking across the food hexes but now you are almost out of water, so you want to stop there, and you'll take a couple of hits of movement from the food so you can pick up two or three points of movement or more from the water, right? It's rare, but I have had that happen where it became beneficial for me to do that. I think that was all the questions you had. If you have any more, let me know. Like I said, this is one of my favorite games. I stumbled upon it basically after reading an OD&D that you should buy it. Didn't play it for the longest time, and now I actually really love it. It is definitely an older game. Like you say, it's not necessarily the most sophisticated game, but there's a lot of depth to it. I'm not sure if in the clone that you have, they have it, but there's even like an extra scenario where they just kind of describe in the rules, like here's another way you can play. And I have, and I don't know where I got it from. I tried to seek it out 
again later and I couldn't find it. It's printed, so I don't know. It might come from a magazine or something. Another scenario that has, uh, it's like a hunter scenario, and that one has rules for like actually hunting the animals. You go to the areas where the uh, little animal things are and you can roll to see whether or not you, you know, catch a deer or whatever. <laughs> so again, it, it, there's a lot that can be done with this game system. So I totally get why the, uh, I guess the Lake Geneva people or whatever like to use it for D&D, but I'm glad you're having fun with it. I'll talk to you soon. Okay, my daughter and I just got done playing Outdoor Survival and she wanted to record. I haven't thought any questions or anything, but we just wanted to get recording and make some observations, I guess. So... What do you think of outdoor survival? I think the survival part isn't as hard as I thought it would be. Yeah. It's kind of fun trying to figure out where you're going to move next. The, one of the reasons the survival isn't as hard is because I was using the optional rule with those cabins so that you could have a place to get food and water. So if you didn't have those, that would be harder because you were getting really low on water, weren't you? And your move was really limited. But getting to the cabin and being able to rest, you were able to build that back up, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I played alone, and I did the lost scenario, and I didn't last very long. <laughs> but, um, yeah, but we both did well this time, right? Yeah. I finished... Uh, I got off the edge of the board. This was the survival scenario. But then the next turn... Or was it two turns? Within two turns, you got off the board. So, and if you didn't have to stop to rest to get that water, you probably would have beaten me. Yep. So, the the rolling to move certainly is interesting, right? Mm -hmm. You can try to set yourself up to be in a certain spot so that next turn you can move maybe to food or water. But if you get like the random roll, then that, that might throw a monkey wrench into your plan, right? Yeah. Or it might help. Or it might help. That's true. Because you get a turn. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes, that is true. With random, you do get a turn. Yeah. So, where, so it's actually about 50-50 to get a turn. Because the random one, you get a turn. And then if you roll a five or a six, you get to make one turn. So it's the two, three, four where you don't. So three out of six and three out of six, half and half doing a math lesson in this in the middle of this recording. <laughs> yeah. Oh dear. Um, okay, what else? What else do you have to what other observations? I think the rest thing's a little weird. Oh, having to rest for three yeah. turns? Yes. I agree. That that seems to give the other person a big advantage. But if you don't stop to rest, you don't really if you especially if your water's really low, you don't have much chance. Yeah. And it's tough because you only get one water back for resting for three turns. Yeah. So it doesn't make any sense. From a, an actual survival point, I agree. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, but from a um, from a game, you know, trying to balance out between players, it does make some sense. But I still feel like three turns is, is a long time. Maybe two. Maybe two. Uh, in other scenarios, it is two. So um, I guess it's the matter of the one that we chose, but yeah. but it, it's interesting. So we started on the very far right of the board, and it feels like it's going to take forever to get all the way to the left, but it moved pretty quickly, right? Yeah. Turns can go pretty smoothly, and once 
once you've rolled enough times, you know that a one is going to be random and a five and a six gives you a turn. And then you can just kind of do it without having to consult the sheet quite as much. Right? Yeah. The terrain, we're figuring out the terrain stuff. So, yeah, it was working out pretty well. I wish they made it easier to see between a desert and a normal space. Yeah, I think that's me printing it out. And it's not like glossy paper or anything. Yeah. But, yeah, I also agree. I think the... So this... This was something that a person made and made available for free. People can download and print it out on their own. The original game, get this, came out in the 70s, 1970s. Wow, that's before you were born. It was before I was born, yeah. So, so it's, a, it's a pretty old game. And I think the, the original map makes things a lot clearer. But, um, but it still works, you know, especially for the price. Does it feel like it's a super old game? No. Uh, the rules kind of made sense? Is... Yeah, except for the resting part. <laughs> except for the resting part, yeah. Cool. Uh, are you looking forward to playing again sometime? Definitely. Yeah. I just wish you could have like a dog or something following you around. Hmm. It could help like give you more food when you land a hunting space. Yeah. Well, they encourage you to make your own scenarios. So maybe we could do something like that. Maybe if you get to one of the animal spaces, maybe you could roll to see what kind of animal you, you encounter. And it could be a puppy. It could be a puppy. Or, <laughs> or well, maybe it could also be a bear <laughs> and you lose health or something. So, yeah, they encourage you to, to make your own scenarios and stuff. So maybe we could do that sometime. Yeah, um, do you think, uh, do you think, Mom and sister would like playing this, or? Maybe not mom. Maybe not mom. Or maybe, because it's kind of simple, and mom likes simple games. Yeah. I, she might like it. Yeah. She might. And I think she'd play if, if everyone was playing. <laughs> Probably. But we'll have, to, we'll have to see. We'll have to print out a few more of the, uh, the little health trackers, but. Yep. And oh. this time you can use the glue stick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think I need to get some, like, actual craft glue. It, like, you know, up my my craft game here <laughs> <laughs> instead of using your glue sticks. Okay, any other thoughts on outdoor survival? I don't think so. No? So, um, so in the original Dungeons & Dragons game, this was also in the 70s, they encouraged people to buy outdoor survival to use in travel sessions. So like if you're in town and you have to move to a dungeon, they'll tell you to get out outdoor survival. The rules are slightly different, but the concepts are still the same, trying not to get lost and things like that to get to like the dungeon or some other locations. What do you think about that? Does, does that seem like it makes sense or would fit? That seems like it makes sense. Yeah, you think that's a nice way to do travel? In like an RPG? Yeah. How would you feel if we did something like that for Mouse Ritter? That'd be cool. Um, Only we need a lot of rations. A lot of rations. Yes, that's true. It'll definitely make the place seem bigger because it takes longer to travel. Yeah. And it's a fun, engaging way to travel too, right? Yeah. You don't just move to one hex and see what's in that hex. Yeah. It's almost like a little mini game. Yeah. A game within a game. I'm trying to think if there's any other questions to ask or anything else to reflect upon. Anything for you? No. 
Only I wonder how we could fly, apply this to other games. Like what other games? Maybe Robinson Crusoe. Maybe make it oh. take less long. <laughs> well, I think adding adding it would make it longer, but it would it would vary it up. It could be interesting because, like in Robinson Crusoe, you flip the hexes to see what kind of terrain it is. But it could be interesting to actually do like travel between those hexes using outdoor survival in like a shorter. You wouldn't want to use the whole map, but maybe like doing that somehow. Hey, I don't know. Maybe you could try to find a town because your plane crashed and you're running out of supplies. Yeah. It could be interesting to mix outdoor survival and Robinson Crusoe stuff. And that's kind of what I was, what I'm trying to do with like the travel, travel rules. So I'll have to think about that more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anything else from you? No. No? You think we covered it all? Probably. Probably. Good enough? Yeah. Good enough. Well, thank you for doing this again. Even You're welcome. Though, even though it was your idea. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. Okay, I was going to end the episode right here, but I was thinking more about my daughter's pet suggestion. I don't think it would work as a scenario necessarily, more as an extra rule or set of rules on top of the, the normal game. But here's my attempt at adding pets to outdoor survival as a fun little exercise. So right now I have three options for pets. A bird, a dog, and strange enough, a monkey. Each one of them will have their own health and they each have one ability. Starting with the health, I want that to be simple. So instead of having food and water and move, the pet moves at the exact same rate as you do as, you know, your avatar. So they move the same, but instead of having separate water, food, and health tracks, I'll just combine them all into one, and you just tick that down every turn if you don't come across food or water, just like you would tick down your food or your water as a normal character. I think each pet would have a different level of health. I think the bird as kind of like the smallest would need the least amount of food and water and their ability isn't as strong I think as the other two so maybe they would have more health. Maybe that's not important, I don't know. Haven't tested it. If the pet gets down to zero health they essentially abandon you, fly off, run off, whatever and now you're stuck in the wilderness all alone. You would recover the animal's health by one anytime you come across food or water in the wilderness. You just do it once, even if you come across food and water. Now for their abilities. For the bird, I was thinking, when you roll to see what kind of move you're gonna have to do, if you get a a result that is you have to move randomly, When you roll the d6 to determine which direction you randomly go, roll two d6 and choose which one you want. And I guess that would be kind of like the the bird is helping you navigate. The dog ability, I'm kind of representing as they can smell food or game and pick up the track and help you locate food. 
this ability is if you end your move next to a food hex, roll a d6. On a five or six, you can move your token to that food hex. And then you resolve whether or not you have food or water, etc., etc., ticking down health after that. The monkey, I, I wasn't fully sure what kind of animal would represent this one, but I wanted an ability for water. And so I guess you train the monkey to be able to grab a canteen and go fill up water and bring it back. So similar to the, the food ability, if you land next to a water hex, roll a d6, and on a six, you can act as if you've moved through a water hex. So you don't have to tick down your water. I have that on a six instead of a five or six because it's you know more precious. So on a six, you can get water. On a five or six, food. And then you've got the bird's uh, navigation ability, which, like I said, isn't as strong. So maybe the bird has more health or maybe some other benefit to balance things out a little bit more. So th those are my pet ideas. You don't have to really represent them with a token or anything. You just have to have an extra little health tracker for the pet. It just gives you a, an extra little ability. That's the beauty of the game, as Daniel was saying. Its scope is so focused, and it's not adding a lot of rules cruft or anything. So it's fairly easy to bolt on your own attachments to it without throwing off the balance or really messing with how the game plays. It lends itself to homebrew. Please let me know what you think about this whole pet idea. I am interested in your feedback. If you have any other pet suggestions or ability suggestions, I am all ears. I have two more call-ins related to travel slash PC morale. The first one is going to be from Jason from the Nerds RPG Variety Cast, talking about some suggestions for travel slash morale. On top of Jason's podcast, he's also started a solo play going through a bunch of old modules using Beckme. He's doing reports on his blog, so if you want to check those out, he doesn't have comments yet, but if you want to respond, you could just call into his podcast in the meantime. And then after that is Colin from the Spike Pit podcast, and I will put all of these things in the description. Hey, Merck, Jason here. Just want to say, enjoyed your latest episode, your Colin episode. I just have been busy, and I haven't had a chance to actually... <laughs> look into a whole lot of games i know there are morale and beatdown mechanics and things like that out there like you're looking for uh there are a number of war games that kind of do this grunt jumps to mind and, and there are some others but again i just haven't had a chance to really do a bunch of research so that's why i haven't called in recommendations as far as the joint world building through legends and things like that beyond the wall does this and, and it's a really interesting way to do the world creation. If you haven't looked at Beyond the Wall, it, it's well worth your time to check out. It's a really interesting setup where the players do get to help create the world, but ultimately the GM has, you know, the final say in how those recommendations work. So great stuff. I look forward to seeing what you come up with travel-wise and morale-wise, and I will hopefully talk to you soon. Take care. Hello, Merck. Um, enjoying your discussion related to morale, and I, I haven't found it 
to be my experience that this is uh, strange or unheard of in RPGs in any way at all. Um, perhaps in the older games a little bit more so, but the games I'm playing of late might not call it morale, but they tend to incorporate mechanisms of the type that you seem to be considering and exploring but dress them up as conditions specifically I might refer to 5e I found the whole idea of the exhaustion and the conditions in 5e to be very similar to morale and and in the the context that you're talking about in Overland Journeys we were playing in Cholt the jungles of Cholt and it was really just uh, one continuous kind of exploration session and we played for many many hours just exploring traveling and the exhaustion mechanic has has got various levels and the more exhausted you get the, the the worse it gets and then that idea gets leaned on even more heavily in adventures in middle earth the, the 5e version taking a, a cue from the one ring that, that captures this idea really well uh, and in Adventures in Middle-earth they talk about shadow points and the inspiration mechanism that's I found to be quite weak source in vanilla 5e actually captures a lot of the feeling of the surroundings and environmental conditions when when it's in that form uh, the adapted form that you find in Adventures in Middle-earth. Also, I've been reading Mutant Year Zero and there's a, a broken condition which is quite uh, quite broad and it relates to your attributes. You kind of, you can take uh, conditions on your attributes in that game. Similarly, you get um, Dragonbane that does the same kind of thing. Uh, you take a condition if you push a roll related to strength. Uh, when you fail a roll in Dragonbane, you, you get the option to push it. This means that you get to re-roll, but you suffer a condition, and you have to narratively justify why you would uh, suffer this condition. So, for example, if you suffer it on your strength, you take you gain the angry condition. I forget what the others are, but to my way of thinking, if they're not very similar to what you're trying to do, they might serve as some kind of inspiration for sure. And I believe Forbidden Lands as well, which I've heard you mention, and not only does it it model this type of morale effect, uh, and it seems to be the survival theme theme runs quite strong in the the free league games, Uh, and Forbidden Lands does do the the travel particularly well, and yeah, so I've I've found it to be really quite common, especially in some of these more modern games. Uh, and the ones I've been excited to play recently and have really enjoyed uh, and I've listed a few there for you 
don't know how much help that is to you i know you like the feedback so there you go enjoying the podcast as ever take care mate and i'll catch you later thank you both for the calls i've put beyond the wall on my wish list my brother just got dragon bane so i'll have to borrow that sometime and look through that but just in general i appreciate both of you and others who have expanded my mind to understand that it's not just a thing called morale in a game that can imitate what I'm going for here. There are conditions, there are other systems, etc. that give that sense of wearing down over time. So I'll keep my eyes open more for mechanics like that. I mean, in Mouse Ritter, there's there's plenty of conditions that you take and you fill your inventory slots with those. So that has a similar feel to that. And I could certainly hook in more conditions into Mouse Ritter and call it a day if I wanted to. So once again, it is a confirmation that this is a valid path to go down. It's just how do you implement it in a fun and engaging way. All right, I think I'll leave it at that. I still have Collins for the well done in Kruger episode. I will probably divide those up. In the meantime, I've, I've been trying to put some ideas down on paper about the, the travel stuff. And I think I'm going to go extremely ambitious and maybe even make like a full-fledged uh, travel kind of board game, almost like Robinson Crusoe for survival, but this is more about travel and see how that plays and then start stripping that back to get to uh, something that's more tolerable for an RPG session. And then I'll also continue thinking about the fast travel rules and the medium travel rules, for lack of a better word. When I have more concrete stuff to to talk about, I certainly will. But until then, take care. (laughs) 